Welcome back, everybody. We're good enough. Welcome back. Uh, as we prefaced in the, the last episode, which is a bit more nonsensical, but this time I want to be on theme. Yes. Brian, we've got Brian here, our community manager, um, our regular co-host Ryan, is dead, tired of getting ready for PAX East. So that's where he's at. But <laughs> <laughs> I like that pickup. Yes, one of the community <laughs> managers, and you've probably seen my mug over all of the competition videos. I meant to start the last blip cast with... Hey there, Blip Sounds. This is Brian Seeley. Yep. You know, as well, I always I'll do. I'll stick it in the front. That's fine. Uh, which, by the way, when you were introducing me, I was sitting there like waving and holding up like the peace sign as though somebody could see me. So. <laughs> Just get all this NSA. Hello. <laughs> so I'm, I, I realized halfway through doing that, I'm like, nobody can see me. Oh, and I, I just needed it. to share my stupidity. So I know for the GATS members, they're going to hear this pretty quickly, right? Or at least yeah, within the I next mean, like ow. month. Probably yeah, within the next month. We've tried to go out quite a ways because March is going to be such a mess with GDC right. and all the other stuff going on. So this yeah, is, I think the most recent episode to post in there, I think was episode twenty one, and this is probably twenty six. So I'd say it's maybe okay. a month out. But so as of this recording, a really hot topic on Twitter right now, and this kind of comes up about once a year in the game audio section on Twitter is about how to approach devs and other creators about doing sound or music for their project. Fantastic. And they've been using this really bad example of a person who basically wrote an email saying in so many words, hey, the sound slash music on your project sucks. I could make it better. And then the person writing back going, dude, we're like a two-man team and I'm the only one doing audio. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we know we want to offer like the best of intentions because we want to say like, hey, look at how much better I can make this. And the the undertone you're giving there is, hey, what you originally have sucks and see, I made it better. This is bad and you should feel bad. Exactly. <laughs> and and nobody wants to hear that. Like, And nobody wants to say that. Yes. Like I'm, I'm teaching myself how to make games myself. So I'm learning by watching tutorials and I'm making some fun little shooters. And I know when I put those out there for the world to hear, I inevitably am, am gonna get at least one DM of somebody saying, hey, I could totally make your music and sound design so much better without reading that I'm a composer and sound designer. Hey, Brian, do you need a sound designer for those? <laughs> <laughs> Someday if I have a budget. <laughs> Done working for free, damn it. Right now, my budget is zero. And like we we had a very similar... It, this didn't happen per se, but um, in one of the games that I'm working on, Path of Kami, uh, we just set up a Discord server for it, uh, like for the general public. And somebody jumped in there and they said, hey, you know, really interested in this game. By the way, I'm a composer and sound designer and, and this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, good on you for reaching out. And at least you didn't say... I could always make your project better. Like he didn't say that. He was just expressing interest and just saying, Hey, if you need help with anything, that was a little bit better. I, I tried to redirect him like softly, like let him down easily. Yeah. That's like, it's good. okay. But uh, yeah. So when, if somebody puts out a project, like somebody puts out a demo for something, whether it sounds good or not, don't think you're being helpful by pointing out where their sound or their music is lacking. Yes. Because that's a huge turnoff. Like right away, you've just soured a relationship before it's even started. In a lot of cases, especially with indie teams, 
it's maybe two or three people. Maybe one of them is a composer or sound designer. Maybe they have somebody doing stuff for free, but they're doing the best that they can. If somebody came up to you and said like, hey man, what you're doing sucks, I could make it better, like you would be offended. Right. And rightly so, like you should be offended if somebody does that. So when you're when you're trying to reach out and make connections, be very much aware of what you sound like. Only talk about helping their project out. Like if you if someone is reaching out and saying, hey, you know, we're looking for sound designers and then you can kind of pitch yourself up by saying I can make your game sound really amazing. But to jump in there when all that there is is just footage from the game and you're listening to it and you're going, wow, I could do a better job than that. And you probably really mean it in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. Understand that when you're saying that the undertone is, hey, what you currently have sucks and I can make it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the networking advice I seem to be seeing just in circulating around the industry and stuff is like, all your networking connections should be genuine in that you're hanging out and meeting people that you would want to know and want to talk to. And then yeah. you go from there. So a situation like this would make more sense to have, hey, I'm reaching out to you because I love your project. Let's get coffee sometime. Yes. And then you can talk to them and then you can put a thing together. And then if they recognize that their sound is not good, which they probably do, especially if they're a small team and they just know that they don't have the chops for audio and then you happen to organically state through meeting them and befriending them that you are an audio person they might just hand it to you hey we're working on this game you may have seen it our sounds are not that great how do you feel about jumping into this yeah that's that's a perfect example because chances are the dev team already knows their sound and or music is terrible mm -hmm. i mean very rarely are you going to meet a dev team that puts out a product and goes, yep, that is the best sound possible. Mm -hmm. Like they're, again, they're probably people that are artists and coders and they either got free sound packs or they got a college friend to just throw some stuff in there. And doing exactly that, like writing to them and saying, hey, I saw the video that you put out. I thought it was really cool. I really like some of the stuff that's going on there. Would you be available to chat sometime? Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you live in the same city, ask them out for coffee. And if not, just say, hey, do you guys have a forum or, you know, is there a way that I can, you know, chat with you guys and get a hold of you and build that relationship. Yep. And eventually, yeah, like you said, it might come out and they're like, yeah, you know, we don't really have a budget for or, you know, we don't have any anybody on our team that does sound design and let that conversation happen organically. Yes, indeed. Kai Jones says, being a genuine member of an online community has boosted me. I see many composers and sound designers join for the sake of marketing. Comes off as blunt and disingenuous. Yes, amen. Preach it, brother. Absolutely. Nobody wants to have, nobody likes a salesman. Nobody. Nope. The, the, worse, the better the salesman, the worse they're liked. <laughs> salespeople hate salespeople. Yes, everybody hates salespeople. Salespeople hate themselves for doing sales. And... You know, when uh, I know a lot of people have asked questions about how to network, how to meet people. And it's it's definitely hard if you live uh, in an area where there's not a lot of game development happening, or at least not, mm -hmm. at least it doesn't seem like there's a lot of game development happening. And chances are there might be more than you realized. You just don't know that the, those groups are out there. Like for example, Ryan and I live in Orlando and Orlando has a, a bit of a growing 
indie game development scene. Uh, aside from the University of Central Florida and their game program, and we have Electronic Arts and their Maitland Studio, which will be moving to downtown Orlando in another year or so. And uh, we have Indienomicon, which is a community of indie game developers. And it was through Indienomicon that I met the developers for Path of Kami. And I got to know them. I had built a relationship with them. And most of that relationship was actually through Twitter. We, we met a couple of times in person, but most of the time we were just chatting on Twitter. And then one day they put out a call saying, hey, we're starting this new project and we're looking for people. Mm. And I just messaged and I said, hey, I don't know what you're, you know, because I didn't know what they were looking for. I just said, hey, you know, I can do both sound design and music composition. And the person leading the charge wrote back and said, we already have a composer, but we need a sound designer. And Beautiful. that's how that door opened up. But it that was about like a year and a half's worth of just building a relationship and building that trust. Uh, the other game, the Roomba in Space, uh, the guy is a, a good friend of mine. I, I actually was really good friends with his sister first. And then that's how I met him. And then him and I built up a friendship because of our love of video games. And when he got into um, making video games, like in college, like I helped him out with some music on some of his uh, games for school. And then that relationship just kept going. And when he started a studio, he's like, hey, I'm starting a studio. You want in? And these are just relationships that built around a shared interest. Yeah. And this is something that I have. I'm not super good at right now. I, I could stand to do more networking, especially social networking. And I think I've, I have such a strong ability, not like personally, but locally, like environmentally, there's so much game dev up here. And I like tomorrow night or whatever, Thursday night, I'm going to our uh, Seattle game audio group meetups uh, that we have twice a month. And there's a, there's so many heavy hitters there. Akash is there, Adam Croft, some guys from Sucker Punch, Monolith, a bunch of teams, people just show up and we all hang out and do whatever. And I just assume that sort of through the people that I'm most, you know, comfortable talking to, the things will just show up. And I think I feel like I'm not pulling my weight in terms of social networking to find gigs in any other way that I could be doing if I was, you know, if I didn't have the luxury of meeting all these people in the one place. Mm -hmm. It's well, the, the social media aspect is hard, partly because some days Twitter is a dumpster fire. I found Twitter useful in connecting with some people, but not useful in connecting with a lot of people. Yeah. And Akash has been pushing Instagram for that big time over the last several months. Instagram is a lot more friendly and mm. I've I've met uh, I've met other composers on Instagram more than I've I've really connected with on Twitter, in part because on Instagram you're kind of expecting everybody to promote themselves. Whereas on Twitter, it feels a lot weirder to promote yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, because the barrier of entry for Instagram is just high enough where it's like you have to post something with at least a reasonable amount of meaning. Like you got to have, you got to dig up a picture or a video. It's got to be something. You can't just throw words into the air like you can right. on Twitter. And I just put I just put in the uh, in the chat here a link to the IGDA.org, which is the Game Developers International Game Developers Association, I think. And it's just a place where you can that is like an all encompassing place for game developing people to go and talk to each other. 
So yes. a little bit of an online resource that's very helpful for people who don't have the local. Well, where I, what I will say, where, where Twitter has shined for me actually was in connecting with two different, two different game audio people. I believe it was uh, Ryan Ike. Ah, yes. And I think it was Jay Hernandez. And both of them would say, you know, this is my once a month reminder that my DMs are open if anybody has any questions. Mm. And I took the risk and I DM them one day and it was super scary and super intimidating. Mm -hmm. Even though they said, hey, if you have any questions about this industry, ask away. And I remember when I wrote to Ryan Ike, like I was so nervous that I, I started out just by like, mimicking me like tapping on a mic and a little bit of feedback playing and i was like hello hello is it is this thing on yeah yeah. are you there and and he wrote back and he's like dude you should really check the gain on that mic <laughs> dude ryan ike is hilarious i've talked to him several yes. times because he's out here and he's a big him and akash are buddies and he's a great dude solid guy yeah so by him doing that it gave me like a lot of like okay okay things are cool things are fine we're good we're good and super sweet, like just getting the chance to talk to him. And he gave me a lot of great advice on how to network and how to find people. And awesome. even if you think you live in a rural area where there is nothing, chances are there's probably at least one other person who is interested in making video games. Mm -hmm. And granted, I will say this, most of what we're talking about, we can only speak about from the experience of being Americans. Right. Like we, we don't have the experience of of what it's like in other countries. Mm -hmm. That's true. There can be a lot of like cultural and political climates that might make meeting people a lot harder. Mm, that's true. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. So understand that the advice that we're giving and, and really too, please understand that the advice that we're giving is from the perspective of two white guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we are giving advice that even here in America, doesn't necessarily help certain people in certain uh, people groups that, yeah. again, may not have all the kind of advantages that we do. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's only so much that we can do in terms of you know speaking just from experience, and it's it can be unfortunate that our experiences are going to be so similar just based on that sort of thing. But I think, at the, but I think I also think at the same time these these rules in terms of social outreach they seem to be broad enough from the perspective of the human condition that I don't see a whole lot of issue coming up in terms of just trying to befriend somebody oh, for the yeah. sake of making a connection with them, regardless of where you're at. Yeah. Because everybody likes having friends, you know? Exactly. And, that, and that's what I was going to say is that when you connect with people, whether it's online or maybe you do go to a meetup of some kind, mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, both Unreal and Unity have their own like dev meetups where people that like to talk about those engines get together, mm -hmm. they're people too. And chances are, if you're going to a game dev meetup, chances are most of the people there are as nerdy and awkward as you are. Absolutely. And probably worse. Yes. So <laughs> don't be afraid yeah. to chat up a conversation. And there was an email that Akash put out the other day. I think it was Akash or Adam put out about how to just comfortably network. Mm -hmm. And if you see a group of people and you want to talk to them, go up and either join in the conversation they already have or strike up a conversation about the event that you're at. 
you know, like go in there and say, hey, like, I think this is a cool space for an event or, hey, mm-hmm. I think the weather is really nice today. Or if you walk by a group and you hear them talking about a favorite movie, TV show, anime, band, whatever, feel free to pipe in and share an opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I really love that movie. Did you, you know, how many of you have seen it? What did you think of this one scene? And already you've just now you've created a bond. You've created a shared interest and a relationship. Yes, I couldn't help but overhear. Somebody said they did not like the world according to Garp, so I'm here to tell you that you're wrong and you smell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say this. Unless you are just naturally funny, unless you are Chris and you are funny, <laughs> then please, for the love of all things <laughs> sacred, do not try to start or lead with a joke. Yes, it's tough. It's a hard, it's a hard job. Yes, you will undoubtedly feel awkward. Your joke will come out awkward and everyone else <laughs> will feel awkward. It's high risk, high reward. Man. Yes, I will say this. You've all seen my beautiful mug on uh, YouTube. I will say there was one time a joke landed me two dates with a model. So yes, it can work. And that model is now his wife. That is the rest of the story. No, she dumped me after the third date. But that's neither that's here fine. nor there. That's all right. The problem was on her end. <laughs> it's not you. <laughs> it really was. It it really was. It was bad how it all went down. Oh dear. Oh yeah, because yeah, the bar is way up on the ceiling now, and you're like, oh boy, I got to be funny all the time. This is such a mistake. <laughs> She's got to figure it out. Oh. It was. It was just a series of things. I was also young and stupid. But that out of the way, Kai Jones. He said, uh, my starter is usually. I've come down from Wales because I usually travel to London and they're like, you travel that far? And that's good. Like you're, you're striking up a conversation. And so you're either going to get people that are going to wonder like, wow, you drove that far. Or you might meet somebody who's also from Wales or has family from Wales and you've just made a connection. But yeah, don't, don't try to start with a joke or anything like that unless you're just naturally funny. Just... Be yourself, and if you're awkward, embrace the awkwardness. You know, you can you can say, hey, sorry, I'm just, I'm really shy, and I have a hard time meeting people. You know, that's okay. Like, just acknowledge it and embrace it. When you're meeting people, don't give off this air of like, I'm a sound designer, hire me. I'm a composer. I need food. <laughs> Children are starving. Yes, just get to know them, and... Mm-hmm. If it feels like a long game, that's because it is. No friendship was ever built overnight. Correct. Ask them if they play games. Yes. Yeah. Do you guys play any games? Never heard of it. Never touch the stuff they say. And they turn their back to you and walk Yeah. Away. Or, you know, as you're getting to talk to a group of people, ask them what their favorite game is. And here's the other, here's the other trick. People love to talk about themselves. Yes. It really is true. People love to talk about themselves. If you want to make good with someone, ask them questions. Yeah. My uh, my head shrinker would always say that there's only really three things that people ever talk about in small talk situations. It's either you, me, or the environment. And that in the environment basically being anything around us that is not either of those two first things. Yeah. So just, just pick one. And that's how it starts. Like, you know, everybody hates small talk because it's empty, but it is, it's necessary too. Yeah. If, if you want to be memorable, ask people about themselves. If you if you want people to avoid you, talk about yourself. People will eventually... F- <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. Like, you're right. You're totally right. How many times have you sat there listening to someone who droned on for more than five minutes about themselves? Did you feel comfortable in that situation? 
But if someone asked you, someone asked you a question about a topic you really enjoy and you start talking about it, like you become really excited that this person asked you and is sincerely interested in something you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Ask them questions, ask them, you know, what their favorite game is. Uh, if they're an artist, are there any artists that inspire you? Are there any, you know, genres, movies, TV shows, anything that inspire you? And read social cues. You know, I like that as we approach GDC, a lot of people will talk about how to look at social cues. Look where their feet are standing. Look where their shoulders are and their hips are. Mm. If they're facing away from you, that means that they want to leave. Respect that. And if you're the first one to end the conversation before they do, they'll remember that. Yes. Because you made them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's tough, too, because when, especially when you get into a situation like GDC or PAX, like you're going to run in like you will never you will never, ever be the weirdest person at any of those places. Somehow, even if I'm even if one of you is the weirdest person, somebody's going to be the weirdest person and it's not going to be you. Hey, I I worked at Electronic Arts <laughs> and in my brief time there, I was not the weirdest person. No, certainly not. And I can tell you from just going down to PAX South uh, back in whenever it was. Uh, that uh, there are some unfortunately weird people going on. So it's tough it's a tough to filter out the social cues of super weirdos who don't even know how to like act or talk and you know people who are actually you know projecting their uh... <laughs> what is he talking about? AAA sounds wild. Oh, triple A, like working for electronic oh, arts. Yeah, yeah. Triple A, um, yeah. Well, the, the lowercase fucked me up. That's, yes. <laughs> that's all it was. Uh, like he misspelled ass. Damn ass sounds yeah, wild. Yeah, that's a damn, a damn ass. Damn ass, that sounds nuts. <laughs> Daniel ass kings. <laughs> so, actually, so what I will say, it was fun and memorable working for EA because it's such a fast paced environment. Mm -hmm. Um, it was the Tiburon studio, which worked on Madden and while well, I was there, I was there from 2007 to 2008. So they did Madden, NASCAR, NCAA football series, and, and some of the other sports games. Um, it was also the studio that made the failed, uh, Superman for the, uh, PlayStation Vita. Ah. Oh no, they made, no, they made Spider-Man for PlayStation Vita and made the Superman game. And neither of those worked out all that well. And that was partly because they were under a huge time crunch. They basically had a year to turn around a game that should have taken two to three years. Time crunch never works. I don't understand the situation yeah. that caused those, those things to happen, but time crunch never works. But uh, my time at EA was super valuable. Everybody I met there was super passionate about making an amazing game you know, regardless of what it was. Mm -hmm. But some of our staff, some of our QA team and some of our staff also helped work on Army of Two. Oh, nice. So I got to see a lot of pre-production of that too. There, there are still a lot of days I miss it because very rarely did it ever feel like you could catch your breath. I, I miss that a lot about working at Amazon, actually you too. Um, especially now, like, well, this contract job I'm doing now has nothing to do with sound and it's just a turd way of making some money. But I, there's a lot of hustle and bustle that happens in big companies like that that I miss because it, it, it feels very cutting edge. Like everybody here is busting themselves to death to try to get ahead of the game in every figurative or literal way. And it's, I don't know, it can be really nice. Yeah, it's, well, it's fun being around passionate people. It's fun being around 
a fun environment. Like, yes, yes. There is nothing like holding a $10,000 PlayStation development kit, which we affectionately dub the space heaters and holding it as a shield in the middle of a nerf <laughs> fight. Oh, I love it. That's and that's the stuff right there. That's so good. Those are the memories that I carry with me. Like the bad days, the bad days you forget about pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Like the days where you just want to punch everybody in the face. Those days I don't remember. Like I know I had them, but I don't remember anything about them. The days that I had a lot of fun there are the ones that I remember. And yeah, totally true. Why were, why are you no longer there? Was it just a year contract they got? It was a contract job. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, it was a contract job and they rolled the position over into a full-time position and went with someone else. Monsters. I know. And because it was a technology job, I found out the day of that I was being let go. Ah, what is that? Why is that? What's the relationship to being a technology job there? So because of the fact that you have such a strong ability to make things foobar. Mm. Yes. You find out it's your last day when they're escorting you out at four o'clock. I have had that happen to me a couple of different times. And I never really considered the fact that that was true because I've just been in tech since I started working. So I didn't know there was a different way for that to happen. Yeah. Like in a lot of jobs and even too, like with, with people that gave in their two weeks notice, like the mm. word around the office was you give in, you give your two weeks notice on your last day. Interesting. Cause the moment you give your two weeks notice, you're locked out of the system and you're turning your badge in. Wow. Because again, like, one, the, at best, you get senioritis. So for two yeah. weeks, you're functionally useless. At worst, you... Intentionally try to make things worse. Right. And uh, we were all on a shared network. Mm -hmm. So all you needed to do was get some sort of virus into the system. And then that's endgame. Yeah. I will say, my time at Amazon, I, I ended up in a, in a PIP performance improvement program and we had this whole metric structure lined up and it was like if you can get through all of this correctly without any issues over 30 days then you come off of the pip and out of the pivot plan and then we go back to just being a regular employee like everybody else and it fell apart pretty quickly due to some weird technicalities that whatever 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 but yeah i basically like i was given the opportunity to treat it as if i was leaving so my manager, he was like, you know, I'm just going to tell you, because of the attitude that you have and have always shown in terms of like transparency and consistency and all this stuff, I'm going to let you know right now that there's, you're probably not going to pass the pip with this issue being on here. And I was like, okay, hmm. well, then I'm going to go ahead and two weeks from the day that we've decided I won't work here anymore, I'm going to put in a proverbial two weeks to the team in an email and say, I'm going to go do this instead. I'm leaving, you know, by my own decision, whatever, whatever, and sort of mask it as if I was making the choice to leave rather than being chosen. And, and I just worked out my last month knowing I was going to be done on the 20th. And I just did my best to maintain it for the good of the team that I was on. Cause I, one of the very rare, if only instances in my life where I was like, I really liked and respected every single other person on the team that I was a part of. And so it was like, yeah, I'm just going to keep this going, do what I can for everybody else and do a bunch of really great like exit strategy stuff in terms of writing down every piece of information about my, my building that the next person is going to be able to use to make their life easier. And because, and I kept thinking of it as 
in the in movie Titanic, there's a guy who says we are we have dressed in our best and are prepared to die as gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And I thought of that that phrase all the time while I was working through my last days. There was like, well, I'm going to class the shit out of this in terms of you know I've been given an opportunity to know that I'm being fired in a, in a month from now, so. I'm not going to, and it, but it's also not something that they would have given anybody else. Cause we had one other guy who got let go right before me and he kind of sucked and he was a very grumpy, vindictive sort. And so he didn't get the option and they, you know, basically kept his firing from him until the day officially where they were like, yeah, well, your PIP is over. Here's you not passing it and you will, you know, and we'll see you later. Yeah. Basically. And, and it's just another one of those instances where it's like, You'd be the right kind of person who's easy to work with, and even when things are going wrong, they can go better than if they, if it, you know, if it was a different situation. I, yes, I agree with that because when when they told me it was my last day at EA, they they did a kindness to me and basically told me, I think it was somewhere around like two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and said that they would escort me out at five. So they gave me a couple hours because I had built up such a trust and rapport with them. Mm-hmm. And I spent the remainder of that time coming up with all of this documentation for whoever was going to take my place. And I just wrote down everything that I had been working on. And so it was during this time that uh, everybody was making the transition from PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3. Yeah. And the PS... No, the... No, the PS3. PS3 was 06. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, we were making these transitions. So we had... We had prototype controllers all over the place that I was responsible for. Oh, that's interesting. I see. And I mean, like various types of prototype. Like, I think we had like five different prototype controllers. Mm -hmm. I remember talking with a guy at Sony when I was talking about our prototypes and there was no label on them, like nothing identifiable about them except their different makes. I see. So I emailed him and it was just saying like, hey, these are the makes of the different controllers that we have. I don't know if any of this makes sense. And the guy writes back and he's like, I am swimming up to my ears and controllers. Everything you wrote makes perfect sense. I know exactly what you have. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank you. And so we were talking about a schedule of like when to return these controllers to them. So the person who was replacing me, I left all this documentation about, you know, here's the conversation I've had with Sony. Here's the rep I've been working with. Here's a printout of all of our emails, so you know mm-hmm. what I've told him, what he's told me. Um, here's the schedule that we're working off of. Here's my schedule that I've been working off. Here's all the projects that were waiting in my queue. And the the manager of the IT team came over and was asking me what I was doing, and I explained to him. And he was just like, "Wow, you know, thank you. I didn't expect you to do all that." Yeah. And my thought was, I want to leave on the best terms possible. Like I, when, when they think of me, I want them to think of only good things. So if, if they ever got a call and they're like, Hey, what do you think of Brian? And they're like, he's professional. He did everything that we asked. And then some like he, I would hire him again kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just in case our paths ever crossed again, like it wasn't malice. They didn't go with me and they went with someone else. Right. And so if I were to act like a jerk, I'm burning a bridge forever. Absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's like I've been, I said in the last couple, uh, a few episodes ago, it's like a, it's a social lottery. Like the more, you know, the more good relationships you have with random people is another lottery ticket towards possibly winning 
the grand prize of the thing you want to do or whatever you want for the rest of your life. Yeah. Because, you know, they always talk about how it's who, more who you know than who you are, which is not necessarily true, but it is a very big part of the experience. Um, Kai said, why escort it out? That sounds odd, but I have no AAA experience. Just basically, like, it, it's just a sort of a default contingency for big companies when you fire someone and you let them go. You then immediately escort them out so that to cover the potential for them to be disgruntled, basically. Right. Because you don't know how people are going to react to finding out that they've lost their job. And so you escort them out so they don't, you know, take a dump on someone's desk, grab a laptop and throw it in a toilet, you know, steal a bunch of controllers and drive off into the sunset, whatever, all kinds of things. Yeah, it's especially like, so in most studios and especially at a AAA studio, everybody's working on a shared network because you're constantly uploading assets into a shared network so everyone has the same build which yeah. means that on a shared network you could do some serious crap to a bunch of computers all at once and given that most people working in the game dev community have just enough coding knowledge to be dangerous yeah and do those things ever happen no basically no but it's good to have it, you know, it's just it's just safety on the company's side to keep anybody from affecting the lives of the other employees. Um, it's it's also too because so I worked in facilities and IT while I was at EA. So the moment that you're let go on the behind the scenes side of things, your badge is automatically deactivated. You are mm -hmm. your your account is closed down, so you can't log on to your computer you can't access email anymore you can't access the shared drive so you are now functionally a guest at the studio your badge doesn't work you don't have any computer access to anything so they they just escort you out it's it's a courtesy at that point one interesting thing i've had two different tech jobs where I would use TeamViewer for various things and i of course didn't recognize this until after it happened a second time but my number one uh, clue that I was going to be let go that day was that my team viewer access had been revoked and I would just be sitting at my desk and no one has told me anything about anything. Yeah. And it's like, is anybody else having trouble logging into team viewer? And of course it's a bunch of head shakes and silence and it's like, well, it must be broken or something. And then two hours later, it's like, oh, you're out of here. Yep. And, and it's just funny that that is the thing that got me two different times where it's like, oh, <laughs> I see. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's nothing like personal against whoever they're escorting out. It's just a common practice yeah. in the AAA world. Usually, when you're told that you're going to be let go, unless unless things went bad wrong, most of the time you're given a chance to clean off your desk. Mm -hmm. Especially if the person handling it doesn't do it till like four thirty. You're because after five o'clock, most of HR is gone, so they have to do yeah. all of their firings before five. They usually do them at four. I mean, that's kind of true. Yeah, I've, I think I had a couple of different jobs where they ended up letting me go at like one o'clock or something. But yeah, so they'll they'll escort you out, and if there's not enough time to clean your desk, then one of my jobs was to go and basically box up all of their personal stuff, um, and. And then it would be waiting for them the next day to grab it. And if oh, that's interesting, yeah. And if they didn't come and pick it up after about a week or so, then my job was to throw it away. Nice, or take it home and pretend. Well, some of those things found their way to the dumpster. Some of those things found their way to my home. Damn right, happens a lot. Yeah, I I will say this: a lot of people still give EA a bad rap, mm -hmm. but my experience from working there 
is that the employees were treated pretty good and crunch was never fun, but the employees were always taken care of. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner was served on site via catering. And while they tried to mitigate crunch, it was just kind of a necessary evil. And this was in 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. So this was post EA spouse uh, settlement that happened where the spouses of many EA employees filed a class action lawsuit against EA because of work conditions. Interesting. Yeah, that happened in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So EA was doing a lot to change the environment. And oh, I see. Um, I actually got to know some of the executives at the Tiburon studio, and it's always fun to see those executives then at E3. I'm like, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've met him. That's awesome. They they were very sincere and genuine about how to fix the crunch problem. I see people give Amazon a really hard time too, and I will I'll defend that place forever. Like I really enjoyed working there. I really enjoyed the atmosphere, the people that I worked with. Um, our department as AV Techs was kind of unique in that our main customer was the other people in Amazon, and everybody else has to deal with the main customer being the general public around us. But yeah. Yeah, and I had, I mean, I was given a bunch of different accommodations, attempts, and plenty of opportunities to sort out my shit before I was let go. Like, I can't say enough good stuff about working there. And it's another one of those companies where people give it a bad rap all the time. And, you know, there's 385,000 employees worldwide, so there's plenty of opportunity for one section of it to be run and treated a lot differently than another. But I had a great time there. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my experience at EA was okay. I hold no malice. I make great friendships there. Same. There were a couple I kept in touch with for a long time, but then we just kind of just faded over time. Of course, happens. Some of them eventually moved to other studios. The EA Tiburon, I will say, because of its nature of, of doing Madden games and all that kind of stuff, like year after year spitting out games, a lot of people saw EA Tiburon as a stepping stone. Mm, so because you could get a shipped game in a year. Yeah. Which is unheard of i mean if you figure most games take two to three years to get to ship i mean and that's the ideal Mm -hmm. so most games take two to three years to get to ship and that means you have to spend six years in the game world before you even get two shipped games versus you go work for ea in the span of a year and a half you could have two shipped games under your belt and that's awesome like that's the exact That's a perfect example of the other side of the coin where people on the consumer side are like, what is with this crap, this yearly release nonsense? And on the other side, it's like, I'm really glad they do this because then I can get reasonable experience in a reasonable amount of time. And it's right. It's so, yeah, the consumer side's tough. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Tiburon was like known for, it, it felt like a churn and burn because they used to put out, um, they used to put employee anniversaries and those would scroll every day on a screen. And most of the time you saw one, two years max. The only people that had more than three years of experience were directors, producers, and executives. Mm-hmm. They, you know, like your leads, all your leads were the ones with like three, four, five years of working at the studio. Yeah. Whereas most other people, they were there for about a year or two to get one or two shipped games under the belt and then go work for another studio to work for an auteur or something like that. Unless you're super passionate about football or NASCAR or something like that, you're not gonna be super passionate about always working on Madden. 
But I will say this, the people that worked on Madden were passionate. You'd have to be, yeah. And fun story for those of you who follow this person, Ask a Game Dev started working at Tiburon about a year or two after I left. So we almost crossed paths. Interesting. Very good. So not not that I would have known who they were. Right, for sure. But I remember seeing them post a photo one day of one of the studios they worked at. And I'm like, I recognize that. Because <laughs> Tiburon is Spanish for shark. Yes. And so whenever it was someone's birthday, they would they would have these helium blown up sharks that they would bring to their desk and celebrate their birthday. Interesting. They also had a, uh, on the fourth floor in one of the meeting rooms, the table was a perfect oval. And rather than being a table with like legs, its center was literally just a giant hole with wall all around it. And so one day a group of employees got a whole bunch of those uh, ball pin balls and dumped them in there. Oh, good. And they, they did it as a practical joke, but the executives loved it so much, they kept it. And the feeding room became the new hire room. So whenever new hires were brought in, they would bring them into that room and they would see the ball pit. And somebody would be like, can we jump in? And the HR person <laughs> would go, yeah, you can jump in. And nobody would do it because everybody's like, if I jump in, am I going to get in trouble? It's like, what? yeah, what, am I being tricked? There's no ball pit at work. This is supposed to be the salt mine. (laughs) Exactly. And so then eventually they would bring in another employee who would jump into the ball pit and everybody would figure out, okay, I can do it. And that's why I said, like, I was was delivering some dev kits one day and a nerf fight broke out and I used a $10,000 PlayStation dev kit to protect myself from a nerf fight. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I think we could probably close this up. But it looks, sounds like, according to Kai Jones, this was super useful. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I guess we'll be back, what, next week, maybe? Sure. Yeah, I don't know. We'll get all three of us in here at some point. Okay. But yeah, I think Ryan's got uh, PAX East coming up next week. And I've got plenty of episodes to build out for the next few weeks. So yeah. no rushing when we do this next time. But I think I might be doing the live stream, the competition live stream by myself, unless you join me or someone else. Yeah, I could see about that. I'm not sure how, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, uh, until next time, I hope everybody has a great night. As always, feel free to ask us any questions that you may have. Yep. And don't trust anyone over 30. Which includes both of us. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Hi there. My name is Ryan, and I have nothing to say to add to this joke. That's fine. It wasn't a joke. All you did was say your name. (laughs) This is true. (laughs)